We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister, and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good to morning, see you Scott. Uh, debt savings and stress. Sounds like they all go together. It's My like, goodness, <laughs> does it ever? It's like It's like... Bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. It would be a law <laughs> firm if they were named. <laughs> yeah, you know, this was a this was an Angus Reid poll that was done recently, and the title of the survey was Debt Savings and Stress, a Study of Economic Experiences and Attitudes in Canada Today. And, you know, I, I feel like for the last five years, the three of us have been having conversation about some survey that's come out about yeah. how Canadians are in debt and how our debt has reached a, a new record. And and yet it, it, it doesn't seem to be any resolution to that. And so as a, in another series or string of surveys, uh, this just simply adds more information or more fuel to the fire about how we're handling debt and how we're dealing with debt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think back to, uh, you know, and they're trying to actually look at millennials today as that cohort and understand how much stress they're experiencing around debt. And uh, and so that was a big part of the, the surveys, trying to understand where they are and, and trying to compare that to, say, when we were in our 20s right. and 30s. And in general, again, that the consensus is, is that it's, it's more difficult in, yeah. in many ways today. But uh, at the same time, you know, there were lots of times when as when I was in my 20s and 30s, yeah. having debt, yeah. taking on a mortgage, mm-hmm. taking on that risk. And I always thought about, you know, the fact that, and there were times when credit card debt existed too, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, and and that, how we deal with that and the, the process around it, obviously people are always mostly motivated to get out of debt, mm-hmm. right? And you can think about all the reasons why. And yet... I know that there is always going to be, in my mind, there's always pretty much going to be debt for certain things that we end up doing. Sure. It's, it's almost yeah. impossible to save enough yeah. cash to, to buy a house yeah, cash. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible to save enough to buy a vehicle, mm-hmm. uh, unless it's a used vehicle or you're just spending a modest amount of money. But many times people are financing vehicles today. Many people are financing their investments in their home mm-hmm. property. And many people are financing or borrowing for education mm-hmm. as well. And so when you think about all of those things, most of them are for you're investing in something to get a higher return, Mm -hmm. right? If you're going to invest in a home, you're hoping that that will grow in value. You're investing your education, you'll be more marketable and you can make more money. Mm -hmm. A vehicle is probably the only one that, but it is a necessity for most of us today. Uh, A vehicle is the one where you're buying an asset that's actually decreasing in value. So your motivation to pay that off should be enhanced. And, And then finally, credit cards and things which generally are more lifestyle related mm-hmm. um, or often as a backstop in case of an emergency where people have to put money onto a credit card. But in the sense that we have debt and we're paying monthly payments, um, if you are putting enough money away on a monthly basis, you're saving, we'll call it the 10% rule. Mm-hmm. If you're saving enough towards your own future goals, whether that's towards uh, your own retirement whether that's towards education for your kids uh, or whether it's just saving and then using that to pay down debt, then that is sort of the peace of mind behind the scene that helps, that should help take the stress off. Mm -hmm. And 
we often were told as young kids that our, and our parents, and we've heard this so many times, you know, pay off your debt, pay off your debt, pay off your debt. And sometimes what I've seen too many times is where people are focusing so much on paying off debt that they've ignored doing any other savings. Yeah. And so I think part of the, um, the solution is to have a balanced approach mm-hmm. where you are still saving towards your retirement, for example, because the power of compounding interest and having that base of capital mm-hmm. that you can allow to sit and grow uh, and compound during your accumulation period until you're ready to retire is so important. If, if Time and time again, if we see people wait till they pay off their debt. And of course, the, the theory is I'm going to use the extra cash flow monthly mm-hmm. because now I'll be able to save a lot more right. and I'll be able to catch up. A lot of times life gets in the way. And even though we might free up, you know, 1500 2000 3000 a month on a mortgage payment, uh, does that all get turned back into savings or mm-hmm. does some of it go back into lifestyle? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times even that plan tends to fail as well because, you know, we're suddenly we have the, re, the newfound money and it's easy just to absorb that and start to think about the things we could do and how we could enjoy it today mm-hmm. as opposed to saving it for tomorrow. Have you actually seen anybody all of a sudden save everything <laughs> without going somewhere? When the payment stopped? Life? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no. so you know, so there is that human element. And it's interesting when you start doing plan, a lot of the backdrop is, okay, we'll just go into savings. Yet that is not a practical solution. Mm-hmm. It has to have, and if you don't plan for it, it won't happen. So it really does, you have to be very disciplined and then some. Yeah. Because it goes it totally against human nature to save money mm-hmm. just because you've paid off this debt. It's almost like a reward to now to start spending the money. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So the Angus Reid poll uh, surveyed 1,500 Canadians in various uh, age groups from millennials right through to 55 plus retirees. And in, in general, some of the highlights are, are that for every dollar of disposable income that you have, we owe a dollar seventy-eight to creditors. Mm-hmm. So to put that into context, if you wow. make uh, if you make fifty grand, <laughs> yeah. if you make fifty grand, your take home is about forty-two thousand, and that means you owe probably somewhere around eighty-nine thousand on average. Mm-hmm. If you owe more than that or below that, it's either good or bad. Yeah. <laughs> you can judge. An average is an interesting. An average is an interesting because yeah. a lot of them owe nothing. Well, 24% of us own nothing, right. according to the survey. Really? So only a quarter of us own nothing. And the majority of those, obviously, are people as they've headed, in, headed into retirement mm-hmm. or they, they just, they're starting out, right? right? And they don't have any debt. I actually think they should take that 24% out of the equation. And then talk and about And then talk about what the real average are the ones that owe money. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Because they spread it across all, everybody, everybody, right? Um, and so if you make, uh, let's say you make 75 grand a year. Your take home is going to be about fifty nine thousand. So on average, you probably owe about one hundred and five thousand dollars. And finally, if you're just as an example, if you make a hundred grand gross, your take home is about seventy five thousand. And so in general, you would owe about one hundred and thirty three thousand, according to this mm-hmm. statistic. So you can sort of gauge yourself as we just kind of run through that where you might sit on that scale. And so in understanding the stress associated with um, with debt and our financial lives, forty percent. Forty percent of us, four in ten, have a high, a very high level or higher level of stress as it relates to their debt. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty high. Forty percent of Canadians yeah. are feeling yeah. a lot of stress over their debt. Thirty-two percent. No wonder people are so cranky. Yeah. Thirty-two <laughs> percent have put off um, retirement savings. Again, that comes back to my initial comments. And 18% of those under age 40 have put off buying a home because of the amount of debt they've had. So it's really sort of handcuffed a lot of people in many ways. And I'll come back full circle again and just repeat this, but 
to the extent that you are saving money in a with a plan and a goal in mind, then having this this debt is something that becomes more manageable because you're sort of looking after your long-term plan. It's not like you're blowing it. It's not like you're not doing anything for your future, right? You're setting aside money for your future, and then that allows you to address, and and in many times, most of our debt, unless it's a a line of credit where you're just paying interest only, we're making principal payments along the way. So we're chewing away, we're chipping away at that debt every year we make payments, and assuming we don't take on more, you're always getting further ahead. Yeah, people forget that somehow. They do, and, and so you still think it's still you know, two thousand a month I'm paying, yeah, yeah, even yeah. though it's come down, yeah. coming down, coming down in terms of the total debt. So, in terms of some of the uh, other things which I thought were interesting, um, one of the survey questions was, "I'd rather spend money on experiences than on owning things." Oh, that's so modern. Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and so, in the age group from eighteen to thirty-four, sixty-seven percent of respondents said they would rather spend money on experiences than owning things. That's a generational thing. Yeah, and then yeah. the thirty thirty-five. But having to said that, they already have to own things. Yeah. So they already own enough stuff. iPod, and right. iPad, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, right. iPhone. <laughs> they got a base amount of owning things that they yeah. can now say that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I believe that. But it's interesting. It doesn't drop a whole lot. So overall, Canadians, 63% of us agreed with that. I'd rather spend money on experiences and owning things. The first group, 67%. Then it drops to 64%. And for those over 55, it drops to 58%. So still a majority of things seem to be people who do relate to and they want to have experiences. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's something that's sort of a balance. Have you earned the right to have that experience mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're because you've looked after debt and you've looked after your savings yeah, you're really borrowing for that experience if yeah. you haven't looked after that you could debt. be exactly yeah, yeah. so that that can't feel good yeah. <laughs> if you're not paying down the debt then you're basically delaying that debt payment yeah. so that you can use that money for an experience yeah. which really is in effect borrowing for that experience yeah so, and the next question, which wait a sec, now all of a sudden, all of a sudden I'm not feeling very well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next question, which I thought was interesting, it's stupid to go into debt if you don't need to. It's stupid to go into debt if you don't need to, and right across the board, and this was universal at all ages, eighty-nine percent of us think that that's true. They agree with that statement. Only about 9%, uh, 9 or 10% disagree with that statement. And that's 88% in the first group, 88% for 35 to 54, and 90% for 55 plus. So they believe it's true. That's right. Do they actually follow through? That's, and- that's the problem, right? <laughs> so that's why I thought that was an interesting question, that ever, almost universally we agree that we should never borrow money for something that we don't need to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the next question I thought was interesting is, where is your debt? Where is your debt? And that could be the number one thing um, being credit cards. 59% of us have credit card, uh, acknowledge having credit card debt. 39% of us recognize as mortgage as having debt. Other loans are line of credit, 36%. Car loans, 31%. Student loans, 16%. Owe to parents or family members, 13%. And other was nine. And the percentage of Canadians that say they don't have any debt Overall, it's 24%. We were talking about this. Mm -hmm. The group 18 to 24, 31% say they don't have debt. Uh, 17%, it drops to 17% in the 38 to 55-year-old group. Mm -hmm. And that's the group that's obviously still has mortgages, kids going to school, cars, everything else going on. So they're the lowest. And once you get over 55, uh, 30% say they don't have any debt. So that still leaves 70% of people over that age that potentially have debt. 
And uh, the next question was, um, has your debt caused you to put things off? Has your debt caused you to put things off? 32%. Other than your spouse. <laughs> well, that's a whole other question. How much, how much stress has it caused in your marriage? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And that's very universal too. But saving for retirement, people have 32%, a third have put off that because of their debt. Buying a home, 18%. Getting married, 8%. Having children, 7%. Moving out of your parents' home, 5%. So that's a pretty low one to start with. Having children and moving out of your parents' home are almost the same. And this is the- <laughs> In that case- and the one that became, the one that's the scariest to me was how large a one-time unexpected expense could you manage this month? How large a one-time unexpected expense could you manage this month? Mm. And I know we're just bumping up to the end of this section. So when we come back, I'll tell you the results of that. Maybe we're living it now. <laughs> uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the, list, uh, the listener inquiry button. Talking about debt savings and stress. Yeah, I just wanted, so following up, this was a uh, an interesting question to me, but how large a one-time unexpected expense could you manage this month? And so the categories were, um, I could not manage any unexpected expense, uh, up to $100, up to $250, up to $500, 500 to 1000 or I could manage over $1,000. And the age groups they looked at, 18 to 25, 26 to 37, 38 to 55, and 55 plus. So in the age group, 18 to 25, 34% of respondents, one third, said uh, they could not manage any expense or up to $100. Mm. So I, fa I was fascinated wow. by that. Up to $100, could you manage that as an unexpected expense? 34% of the age group, 18 to 24, could not. Think of $100 though. That's like not even a bag of groceries these days. Yeah. 29%. Yeah. That's 29% of 26 to 37 year olds. 29% of eight, of 38 to 55 year olds and 19% of 55 year olds plus mm. could not manage a hundred dollar wow. unexpected wow. expense. Mm. That's got to add a lot of stress. You feel yeah. like you're living on the edge yeah. all the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, this is why, you know, your financial literacy, your financial goals and your financial outcomes are so important to help. I think overall everybody's stress level yeah. and the well-being of our families and our, and our futures as well. So anyway, an interesting, uh, interesting survey overall, it just reinforces to me the power of, um, of creating a financial plan and having people the discipline and helping them save money so that they can manage all of this stress with their debt. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's a- oh, And I just wanted to, sorry, I just wanted to say one last thing, which I thought was a great quote. Yep. And uh, the quote is, too many people spend money they don't have to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. <laughs> <laughs> and that was by Will Smith, the actor. <laughs> Will Smith, the actor. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I can't reiterate it enough. When, when you see somebody with debt, and then they go on a big vacation. Mm. So they said, no, no, we saved the money for it. 
said, well, you still have the debt on, say credit card debt. Yeah. So they didn't actually use the credit card for the vacation. Oh, that's good. Okay. They <laughs> but saved they the money, off but they didn't pay off yeah. the credit card, yeah, yeah. which is really the same thing. Yeah. And so when I, we've had these conversations with clients or clients, kids, <clears throat> and they, it's two dotted line, one to the other, where they don't see the big picture. And again, this is where a financial planner, okay, what if you skip one year vacation and you take that money? And we apply that to debt, et cetera. Get caught up. You get caught up in a year. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing what one year of kind of, you know, buckling things up a little bit for one year yep. can really make a difference. Yes, and I then agree. you carry on there because what you've done, you have to pay for those sins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but everybody wants to borrow or get and have that lifestyle. And as you mentioned, Andy, they're looking for experiences. experiences. But they haven't earned the cost? right yeah. to have the experience. That's true. So- and, and yet they all think that it's it's not Being smart. in debt is quite the experience. <laughs> that is a great <laughs> What are they learning from that? Yeah, not a great experience. All but those it's conversations experience. you get to have with your spouse. Wow. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which right. is also why it's the number one or number two, depending on the survey, reason for divorce. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Very, very. Now, talking about risk. Now, we're, when we're looking at retired clients, and particularly now that there's not defined benefit plans, or there is, but they're less of them, mm-hmm. particularly in the private sector. Public sector, police, teachers, public work service, they still have the defined benefit plans th- through OMERS or superannuation. But you know, a lot of these ones, and, and DeFasco is a perfect example, or ArcelorMittal, they would build up funds and then you get this lump sum. That's been the norm for years. DeFasco was way ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. Okay, that w- they were way ahead. Um, they do have a kind of a backdrop of SHRIP, which was, is a defined benefit plan on top of it. Mm-hmm. But you know what? For the most part, they all talk about the fund. And it used to be this big deal. Well, now everybody's doing it. So then you just get this fund and you think, okay, what do I do with it? And there's been this 4% rule that basically says if you have a million dollars, you can take 4% out of that every year, index it with inflation, and it will last 30 years, mm-hmm. which is generally more than most people's should retirement. Should last your lifetime. It should. Yeah. It should. Um, people are living longer, so there's a little bit of that. So, you know, recently in a, there was an article I was reading, and it showed this 4% withdrawal from a, a million-dollar start. If you started, let's say, January 1st, 2000, and unfortunately, that was right where there was a bit of a tech meltdown. Right. Okay, so the timing. So I, I'm trying to look at right now. We've just had a negative quarter. I certainly don't liken this at all to the 2000 tech meltdown or the 2008 crises. Companies are making money. The stock market went down less than 10%, generally speaking, between the world markets. Canada was down a little over 10. But depending where you start will have an impact on how long your money will, will last. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that if you did do this 4% rule, and if you put half your money in the Toronto stock market and half of it in bonds, so that's a 50 fix, 50 mix. And I'm gonna to get to that in a bit because uh, most pension plans are a 60, 40 mix. And there's a lot of evidence right now that 70, 30 should be the mix you have where you have 70% in stocks and 30% in bonds. But in this example, and they've gone through that Monte Carlo analysis that Andy and I have talked about for years where they stress test this. They, they simply do scenario after scenario of what happens. And they looked at the 4% and you would be down to $690,000 18 years later, mm-hmm. December 31st, 2018. Not bad. Okay. You still have 12 more years to go. And it works out that if you simply divide that with, um, with the amount you're taking out. So re- you start off with $3,333 a month 
with inflation, it works out to about 4,700 a month is what you take out now. Mm-hmm. So every month you get this increase. Every year, you, rather, you get this increase. So it's the same 333 in buying power. Mm-hmm. But if you divide that into simply, if you got a 0% return and you continue to get that 4760 per month, it actually lasts exactly 12 more years, mm-hmm. which is 30 years in total. Wow. So it actually did what it said it would do. You'd end up with nothing. But that's kind of the end goal is you're not necessarily trying to save for the next generation. You're simply saying, I've got this money. And kind of like a pension fund, at the end of the pension, there's no money left over. Yeah. Okay, well, after you and your spouse have passed away, there's no money for the kids. No. It's in this pot of money that, that pays you monthly. And nobody seems to care about that. Okay, oh, I got this great pension. But when it's their own money, they don't want to touch the principal. Mm. Okay, but when it's a pension fund, they aren't automatically hitting the principal because there is no cash value for the kids. So it's a little different scenario. Um, interesting enough though, if you took a 3% payout, you'd still be at approximately a million dollars where you started. Mm-hmm. So not a bad deal at all. Unfortunately, a lot of people were a little more generous on what they're thinking they could take out. And they said, you know what? The market's done pretty good. I'm gonna have a 6% payout. They would now be bankrupt in about three more years. Okay, so they would only last 21 years. And had they had a 7% payout, it would have already been gone last year, 2017 actually. So a 7% payout, and I know I've seen clients that have dealt with other financial planners, and they were using a 7% payout. And I hate, I hate to say it, in one particular case, it, they have now run out of money. Yeah. Okay, because they look at the history of what the market's done, and they don't take into account the ups and downs, the unpredictability of the market. Mm-hmm. And if there's a downturn, of course, the market drops and you're still pulling money out. Yeah. And so that's where the volatility of the market really affects a retiree. It doesn't affect all those still accumulating. In fact, it's a benefit. Yeah. For those accumulating, great time to buy right now. Sure. Things are, you know, 8 10% lower than they used to be. So you're actually buying more units with the same amount of money. But on the other hand, when you're pulling out, you actually have to pull out more units. Yeah for the same amount of money. Exact opposite scenario. So interesting enough, so so then they start, there's a, an individual and his name is uh, Frederic Vatisse. Didn't really know this person, still don't, but he was a former chief actuary of uh, Morneau Chapelle and the author of Retirement, uh, Retirement Income for Life. And um, Bill Morneau, yep. our finance minister, yep. he is the owner or one of the owners of that company. It's his family's company. His family's company, yeah. yeah. Um, I know it's put in a blind trust right now, so he has no access to it, but still. So their whole job is to look at the whole He's not pension. worried where his next paycheck's coming from. Yeah, he's doing okay. <laughs> he's doing okay. Which again, we're going to talk about- If there was a cabinet shuffle, he'd be okay. <laughs> <laughs> if he was John McCallum, he'd yeah, be, that's right. he'd be okay. He'd be fine. Probably yeah. goody. Now, he did put his foot in his mouth a few times yeah. with the private sector, oh, yeah. and uh, yeah. he still has his job, but I guess it wouldn't have mattered so much. Interesting enough, they actually took a look at the 60-40 mix that most pensions have, and they looked at the worst case scenario, and the, that, that's the bottom 10% of um, kind of stock market years. Mm-hmm. So if you retired at the worst case, kind of like that 2000 I, I just mentioned yeah. to you, or 2007, and you had a 60-40 mix versus a 70-30 mix, it would make sense that the more conservative you were, the better. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. We looked at the middle scenario, the 50-50, and your rate of return would have been 5.9% versus 5.6% um, using the 70-30. So it was definitely better, 
um, in the middle mm -hmm. and in high in great returns. So when the markets are great and you happen to retire right at the right time, right after to the, the crisis in 2009 and you retired, start drawing, um, your return would have been 9% rather than 8.3. But if you'd retired at the worst time, interestingly enough, and this is totally against what I personally thought and I think a lot of the experts thought, the rate of return was 3.1% for either case. Mm. So as it turns out, the 70-30 split had better upside than the 60-40 and no extra downside mm. of the 60-40. So if you're going to look at a 60-40 mix, and I know this is interesting right now because a lot of people are saying, oh, I don't like the markets. Well, this is just the normal called yin and yang of the markets. The markets go up and down. Yeah. And that just, that's, what's that is simply the way it works. If anything, it's a better time. This is the time you want to be um, adding money. And, uh, and maybe now, if you were to retire, now you'd be pulling out at a down, but it yeah. wouldn't matter because 70-30 mix would have had the same result as a 60-40. So, you know, there's a lot of math that gets involved in this. But at the end of the day is tax. There's a lot more to a plan than simply the withdrawal rate. And uh, we've had some, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard this, Scott, this uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's a Democrat in the state. She's been talking about taxing the rich, the fair, mm -hmm. let's get the, let's have the rich pay their fair share of taxes. Yeah. It actually sounds right out of Bill, Bill Menor's Bill um, playbook. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exact words he said. And they're talking about the 70% tax on the wealthy. Nice. Wow. <laughs> and Marginal tax. Yeah. That's, so once you got over this threshold and it was a, that would be the best tax rate. And they actually did studies. Two economists said 70%. In fact, one actually went a little higher than that. One was 73%, one was 80%, mm -hmm. would get the best results. Hmm. But they're working in a vacuum. They didn't take into account any human behavior changes, <laughs> which is really odd. So yeah, you can get more money if you tax more. Yeah. Okay. But at the same time, do you think people will go to medical school, mm. get into a hundred thousands of debt to go to medical school, just so they can make a good income and then pay 70, 80% in tax. Yeah. They would probably likely say, you know, that I, I, if I do that, I'm gonna go to a different country, mm -hmm. or why should I do that? I'm gonna take an easier job. Way yeah. too much stress for that. Mm -hmm. If I'm gonna just give it to the government, why would I wanna simply work for them? Mm -hmm. And so in Canada right now, the top tax bracket is 53.5%. Mm -hmm. And I know Andy and I do everything we can to try to avoid that. Um, particularly on the estate side, mm -hmm. because if you don't have a properly pr uh, properly planned estate or will, you're going to pay more than half your money in tax. Right. Okay. Your RSP when you could, cash out. When you cash out. Yeah. Which again is when you cash out is more than just cashing out. Yeah. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's passing away too. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it's a, it's definitely cashing out. That's called checking out. Checking out, <laughs> cashing out. <laughs> um, so it was interesting. They they took a look at this and out of the thirty five. OECD member countries. They took the average of all the highest brackets of all these, mm -hmm. you know, first world countries, okay, developed countries. And Canada's highest tax rate is 53.5%. Mm -hmm. The average was just around 40%, 40.9 hmm. of all the other countries. Right. So we're sitting there at 535 3% and the average of all these, in fact, there was five countries out of those 35 that had a higher bracket than Canada's. Scandinavia? Probably in the Scandinavian yeah, country, right. Yeah. But they also didn't kick into a lot higher levels. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. For some reason, mm-hmm. we're we're two hundred twenty thousand is considered yeah. rich. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so it was you had to make more money. For you'd that have to, to happen. Right. five hundred thousand, right, or a million, yeah. or whatever before that higher bracket. People who are in. actually rich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah this two twenty yeah. arbitrary rich number is, yeah. is hilarious. Um, and I know there's not a lot, but certainly there's a lot of estates that yeah, yeah, earn absolutely. That, um, you know, by the time you sell your house and a cottage, yep. Yep. any capital gains. So in short, what this uh, and this is an uh, opinion of of the Canadian Tax Foundation. Don't get fooled by any stretch that we are not already taxed to death. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> we are paying way more than almost any other country. We're in a vacuum, and a lot of the Scandinavian countries get a lot of services mm-hmm. for free. Um, they're not for free. They're paying for it in the tax sure. grid. Mm-hmm. But so what his what they've actually said is instead of the government talking about raising taxes, and I know uh, there's some political election coming up again mm-hmm. where they uh, taxes will be coming back on the table. Take back that four percent. They increased it. It's not working. They actually collected less for the first couple of years mm. because people's behavior yeah. change immediately. Yeah. It didn't take it didn't take a year two and people years. People in that income bracket are savvy enough to get around it in some way. They they'll make a massive RSP catch up. They'll yeah. cash in something else. They'll do whatever they can. In fact, <clears throat> one thing that's really interesting right now is we are becoming more of a cashless society. Okay. Yeah. In fact, Canada is second to Australia right now in terms of people using um, credit cards yeah. or or simply debit, yeah. uh, debit or even. Um, or Apple Money or whatever, all the different apps. We're the second biggest user of this in the world. Yet we are printing more $100 bills right now than ever. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Coincidentally, our tax rates have gone to the highest level they ever have. And don't tell me for a second that people aren't saying, well, you know what, if I pay it by cash, maybe I'll get a better deal. Hmm. And so I'm just looking at these $100 bills being printed at an increase in that. So people's behavior changes immediately when the tax rates get too high, whether it's HST or, or tax rates. So bottom line is when it comes to an overall plan, there's so many things to look at. You look at your withdrawal rate, you look at the tax brackets, and you have a complete plan. This is a puzzle that needs to be put together. And trying to do this on your own is extremely difficult. Get a financial planner and they'll help you. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister, and Don Fox here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. They'll return your call. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about the tale of two returns. The tale of two returns. So if you had investment number one that earned you 6%, percent mm-hmm. And you had investment number two that earned you 6%. What's the first question you should be thinking in terms of trying to compare those two? Wow. Um, Their history? Tax, thinking tax, thinking tax. How about tax? tax. <laughs> I was gonna what say, is I was my gonna, after tax return? I was going to say history, past performance. Past. Well, that that is a value. That is a valuable question too, because you wanted to understand how did I get yeah. there? Yeah. Was it a straight right. line? Mm-hmm. Was it volatility, etc.? And um, so the first thing that you want to look at then is what is the source of that return as well? So where did that 
where did that rate of return come from? And basically in Canada, for most of us, that rate of return is going to come from one of four things. It's either going to be interest that you earned. It might be, and that would be from a a bond or a GIC Mm -hmm. or um, a a short-term deposit, anything like that. It could be a dividend that you've earned. So that would be you held shares in a public corporation um, and that paid you a dividend. It could be a capital gain. So a capital gain would be you you bought and sold something and it increased in value. You think about your home. What, where's the rate of return come from on your home? Mm-hmm. It comes from a, uh, the fourth category, which is what we call deferred gains. Mm-hmm. So it's a... It's growth in the value of your investment, and you only realize that gain when you sell it. Right. Right. So I think there's an important distinction to understand where the same rate of return is actually what do I make after tax? Mm-hmm. How much am I actually keeping? Yeah. Because that is truly the bottom line. So the top line number is interesting, uh, and it's but it's also dangerous because you could be looking at two investments that have the same return. But in terms of their after-tax return and where you, the history, where you started with, what's what, how much volatility did I have to accept to get right. that return? So I'll give you an example <clears throat> where these two these two investments, one er, both earning six percent, and we'll take an individual, and uh, if you're, we'll use a marginal tax bracket of forty-three point four percent, forty-three point four percent. So in Ontario, that means you earn between ninety-three thousand and 144,000. Mm-hmm. So if you were in another $100, you will pay $43.41 of that back to the Ontario government and the federal government in the form of tax. So that's your marginal tax bracket, the mm-hmm. rate of tax you pay for an extra amount of income. So in example number one, and this could be like an ETF or a mutual fund and the rate of return, the 6%, was from these four sources. 2% of it was interest. Mm -hmm. 2% of it was dividends. 1% of it was capital gains, so the buying and selling of investments. And 1% was deferred gains. So that was just down the road, increase in value, total of 6%. Investment number two, which is a, a pool fund or a mutual fund that is a corporate class structure, has interest of 0.25%. No dividends, capital gains from changing in the investments of 0.25% per year, and deferred gains similar to your home uh, of 5.5%, totaling 6. Mm-hmm. So they both have the same 6% return, and they're both moderate. We talked about 60 40 split, right, 70 yeah. 30 split, so 60 40 split. Well, when we compare the after tax return right out of the gate, the option one with the interest dividends, capital gains, 4.4% after tax. So 6% was the top number, 4.4% after tax. And option two, the 6% after tax turns out to 5.84, a difference of 1.44%. But I know what you're thinking, Scott. You're thinking that doesn't compare them because if I, if I sell it, then I have to pay the tax on that deferred gain. Yeah. So even after one year, if you were looking at the difference in the tax on the deferred gain, pay the tax on the deferred gain, cash it in, the after-tax return, option one, 4.19, option two, 4.64, an increase. If you had $100,000 in this investment, an increase of $450. So that's, that's interesting itself in itself. But if we actually play that out 
let's say you're a 60-year-old today, you put 100000 into this investment, uh, one, and investment two, let's look at what the value of that account will be one year, five years, and 10 years from now. So after one year, you've got 104400 in option one. You've got 105800 in option two. So you're ahead by 1400 bucks. After five years, you've got 124000 in option one. 133,000 in option two. It increased, it was $8,750 ahead. And after 10 years, you've got 154,000 in option one and 176,000 in option two, an increase of $22,471. So where did that come from? That basically came from the compound, not paying tax Mm -hmm. on this investment on an annual basis, paying much lower tax, and then allowing that money to be there and compound over yeah. that 10-year period. So when you think about the um, the actual return, that difference, uh, remember in year one, we said you make about $450. If everything was sold, you're that much better off by having option two, the same 6%, but different structure, different sources. So over the course of 10 years, that's about $4,500 of tax you would have saved each year. Mm-hmm. But the total after tax, if you cash everything in after 10 years, is actually $9,500. So the extra $5,000 that you earn on investment two is the compounding yeah. on the on the earnings and on the original principle that you did not have to give back to, to the tax man. Right. And so at the end of the day, when you think about what are the advantages of understanding the source of your return, uh, this might help you to reduce the old age security clawbacks. It might help you have you have more control over triggering gains and when you're going to pay tax, and you're also going to be protecting your purchasing power going forward as well. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister, and Don Fox here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll return your call. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website, andyanddon.com. All one word. You can listen to old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right. The importance of having some sort of plan. Yes. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to work out and you're trying to get ready for, say, a triathlon, mm-hmm. if you just all of a sudden just showed up to the triathlon without preparation, you probably <laughs> wouldn't succeed. Yeah, okay? that would hurt. It would hurt. Now, you might be an ultra-athlete and maybe you could do it, but that's an exception. And no difference with financing, finances rather. You get to retirement, and if you didn't have a plan, and I know the, the companies you may work for have done some of it, but you really need to put everything together. I cannot stress it. I know we talk about the plan all the time. And uh, I'm looking at a, a, a competitor, or not a competitor, a, a, a colleague of mine in the U.S. And, and his plan is not too dissimilar than what Andy and I are doing. And it answers a lot of the questions like, how much do we need now? How much will we need in the future? How long will our income last from our investments? How much can we spend mm-hmm. in retirement? Uh, how can we get there with the least amount of risk? Mm-hmm. You know, and we look at that and it's fun, kind of interesting when we go through a plan and let's say it's a, a younger client, mm-hmm. say in their 40s, and they're saying, okay, how am I doing compared to say if I want to retire at 60 or 65? And quite often there's a shortfall. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're a little bit short, but the nice thing is we can say, okay, the nice thing about this plan is based on your income now, your savings rate, the rate of return, we can find out 
the age you have to work till. Mm-hmm. So it may not be what you want, but we can say, hey, freedom 75. Yeah. Okay. You keep doing this and you, at that lifestyle you want, and you will retire at 75. Mm-hmm. Or you can save this much more per year and you can retire at 65. Mm-hmm. Or if you happen to get a lump sum of money, say an inheritance, okay, if you, uh, how much inheritance would you need right now mm-hmm. so that you could retire at that 65 mark or 60? Mm-hmm. And actually you also show the combination of, okay, let's say you said I wanted to retire at 60 versus 65. What's the chance of likelihood? And it's, it's so amazing when you put the numbers at the end of the day, the plan in terms of your financial plan is, is really number juggling. Mm-hmm. We got to do the tax planning. We have to look at the return. We have to look at Monte Carlo analysis. There's all sorts of things we look at, but in all cases, it still comes down to numbers. Mm-hmm. And that's where the software is in there. So you're looking at, as I said, the tax planning, risk management planning, investment planning, looking at the statements and, and understanding them, retirement planning, looking at your retirement benefits at work, estate planning and wealth transfer. What do you do with perhaps inheriting money or on the opposite side, what, what's the best way for your money to get passed on the next generation and avoid that 53.5% tax bracket. So we stress test your situation. We take a look at inflation. So we often use say a 3% inflation rate rather than the two. We'll say, okay, what about age? Well, when can you retire? We'll, we'll move the age up and down. Like I said, we usually are very conservative on rates of return. And then we do that Monte Carlo analysis. So we're constantly doing this and not just once it's not like oh so here's your plan hope it works out for you now in 10 years you'll be able to uh, run that triathlon Mm -hmm. well you better likelihood you need a coach to see every year and make sure you're on track and that's the nice thing about having it planned done annually to see if you're on on track you know the markets go up and down how did that affect your plan Mm -hmm. okay so there's a lot of lifestyle. There's two different things. The quantitative considerations, such as your income, net worth, assets, allocation, valuations, your assets. Those are just the numbers of what you have. Mm-hmm. Then there's the quali- quant- uh, qualitative, rather. Your What are your go- needs and goals? Um, what age would you like to retire? I just spoke to somebody yesterday, and he's 73 and loving work. Mm. You know, he, there's no, no way he would consider um, leaving work at this time. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's not it, for him, he says, yeah, I, I still need to work. But he kind of winks at me. It's it's not money. Yeah. Okay. He needs to work because he loves to work. Yeah. He loves doing what he's doing. Um, what are your career goals? What's your projected retirement date? Um, what's your family situation? Is there a wedding in the fu- future or perhaps a windfall? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, maybe there's a helping the parents. Maybe there's another aspect of your situation that has to be built into your plan. You know, it's kind of that sandwich generation. So these things constantly have to be updated because you know you're quite often all plans are great until the things change yeah. and i got to tell you they're going to change every month mm-hmm. so that's why you need to look at this generally annually okay but even uh you know if you look at the markets the dow jones for example if you looked at 1990 and said, you know i'll just buy a bunch of stocks they're all blue chip stocks you know like woolworth and and bethlehem steel and westinghouse um westinghouse electric mm. uh, sorry they're not there anymore yeah okay that's why the nice thing about having a proper managed product that looks after diversification because what was blue chip 1990 isn't even an uh, an existing company now so it's interesting with health i I recently had a medicis program done in toronto and they literally they look through you know my my heart issues in terms of my um all the issues on that side the blood um eyes hearing strength cardio they, they take an ultrasound. They do so many different things and they put it all in one booklet. Mm-hmm. 
not a whole lot different. And the, what I like about it is it, it gives you a benchmark. Mm-hmm. And that's that original plan you have on a financial side. You get that original benchmark and they say, okay, how does it compare to the next one? <coughs> so I did this five years ago as far as my medical and I did it again this year. And it shows, okay, I'm starting to- getting older. I'm getting older. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing it's showing. That's for sure. But also, so, okay, I, I might have to be aware of this. This yeah, is changing. Yeah, yeah. Or this is doing great. I don't have to be aware of that at all. Mm-hmm. And those exact same benchmarks apply to a financial plan. Mm-hmm. You got the booklet. It's all together. You know how easy it was so nice to have a booklet medically of all your stuff? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It, it's with your Is that finances. a thick book or a thin book? It was <laughs> thankfully fairly thin. Okay, a lot of filler. But uh, no, thankfully I'm in good health. But it's interesting. When you have a plan, it works better. And no different than those heart rate monitors. I use something called a MyZone. And they actually track it. And people that have the, t- the, the MyZone actually go to the gym 33% more often and stay in the gym 25% more often or longer rather. And the same thing because they have a plan. But are they happy? <laughs> they're probably happy. <laughs> and they better have a plan because they're going to live longer too. <laughs> so <right. laughs> so at the end of the day, um, stress test your plan and, and look at your plan, your financial plan, no different than you look at your health. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank have you, a great Scott. Week. Thanks, Scott.